Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Lord, I just ask that you would help us have ears that hear and hearts that are ready to respond to your word because it's a lot of bad news. But if no bad news, no good news. Help us not to ignore your word, ignore what's going on in us. Speak truth, speak Christ to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's reflect for a moment on the story of Christmas and the birth of Jesus. Before the birth of Jesus, an angel appeared to Joseph and said, in Matthew, I'll put this up for you, Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. In addition, Mary says this in Luke 1, 46 and 47. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So Mary is a sinner as well, and she needs to be saved from her sin. All right, here's the deal. If you get rid of sin and judgment, what in the world is the point of Christmas? If no sin, I don't get it. But Christmas is about Jesus coming to save his people from their sin, to bear the wrath of God against sin, and through his perfect life and atoning death, he saves people from the sin. But if you get rid of sin, you get rid of judgment, Christmas is not going to make sense. In fact, I would say you're not going to have a Merry Christmas. You're going to have friends come over and you're going to eat a little bit, sing some carols. But if you take away sin and God's judgment against sinners, then you have undermined Christmas. You've made it null and void. If no sin, no judgment, then Christmas is just silly irrelevancy. You have this dude dressed in red with some shiny-nosed reindeer doing his thing. You have Christmas movies that you like. And the worst thing, if you have no sin and judgment, is that you're going to have baby Jesus in a manger surrounded by animals and, and Mary and Joseph. But if, if there's no sin and there's no judgment, what's the point? So my goal today is to help you have a Merry Christmas. We're going to go deep down sin so that we can rise up and magnify our Savior. If there's no bad news, there's no good news. And the bad news is really bad. So that makes the good news really good. So we're in Romans 3. And we're finishing up the the bad news portion of the gospel. 
In Romans chapter 1, we saw the Gentiles are breaking bad and getting worse in their sins, and the Jews think, well, we're much better than those Gentiles. But we saw that the Jews are not breaking good, but they're just as sinful as the Gentiles. Basically, all people are busted in sin and guilty of offending a holy God. And that's where we're going today. So buckle up. Chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Paul's saying here that the Jews aren't any better than the Gentiles. They have access to the truth, that is true, so they have the advantage of having the word of God, but access to the truth does not automatically give you a free pass to heaven because it's not the access to the truth that matters. It's embracing it that matters. And since the Jews have rejected the word of God, they've rejected the gospel, they're no better off. And the final indictment is both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Now, for those of you who want to know what sin means because you're very unfamiliar with what sin is, let me give you a definition of sin. Sin is falling short of the expectation God has for humans. When my kids were little, I would take them through something called a catechism. Now, a catechism is where you ask them a question, and they give you an answer. And so the question that I would ask uh, my little kids is, what is sin? That's the question. And the answer that they would give to that question is any thought, word, or deed that breaks God's law by omission or commission. So you have sin, it's all encompassing. And so we sin when we do what God tells us not to do. That's a sin of commission. And we sin when we don't do what he tells us to do. And that is a sin of omission. So you you sin when you steal and you sin when you fail to do good to those in need. Now, a follow-up question that I would ask my little children is the question very personal How sinful are you by nature? And the answer that they would give is, I am corrupt in every part of my being. And I would say to them, yes, you are. (laughs) But we all are. Sin has corrupted us and our motives and our thoughts and our actions, we fall short of the glory of God. Someone has said, imagine if sin had a color. Let's say the color was blue. Our skin would be blue. Our hair would be blue. Our nails would be blue. But what if someone said, I am red? That's the culture we live in. No one wants to own up to they actually have sin issues. I am red. And yet the word of God says is that human corruption infects us all. Look at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks for God. 
All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Now, people are always saying that the Bible is so exclusive. And I want you to know the Bible is very inclusive. I want you to notice the inclusive language. That it says that none are righteous, no, not one, no one, no one, all are sinners, no one, not even one. Very inclusive language. That sin has corrupted us all. And you may think, okay, so does this mean that humans are as bad as they could be? No, no, that's not what that means. There's always room for further deprovement. Let me give you this quote from Ken Hughes. He said, this does not mean man is as depraved as he could be, but that there's always room for deprovement because he is under the power of sin. Now, society sees the individual as evolving and improving over time, but in the sight of a holy God, sinners are busted and fallen short, and they're corrupted. It has infected us all. Now, there's a a TV show out there that I'm not sure that was built for this demographic, but it's a show called The Walking Dead. Don't need a show of hands who watches that because not many of you probably do. Now, in this show, they... Walking dead are zombies that walk around. They are dead and yet they are moving and they are corrupted with this infection. But here's the deal. The humans that are still alive and not the walking dead just yet, they also are corrupted with this infection. So as soon as they die, they will become zombies as well because sin corrupts us all. But I know some of you may have some problem with this language here because it says no one does good, not even one. And and here's the deal. You probably know non-Christians that are a lot nicer than Christians. So what do you mean people don't do good, not even one? We have billionaires who have made the decision to give away most of their income to help the world's poor and needy. Is, Is that not good? Well, in one sense, you could say, well, that's common grace that has impacted humanity where people can see a need and they can move to meet that need. You could say, well, that's common grace right there. But in the sight of God, no one does good, not even one. And and a way you could say this is that the good deeds of the unbeliever are not proceeding from faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Another view that their good deeds are tainted in God's sight is from Isaiah 64, 6. It says, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So apart from Christ, good works are corrupted and not pleasing in the sight of God. So we are infected with sin and apart from Christ, no one does good, not even one. I don't think I need to convince you. No one does good, not even one. Apart from Christ, we are all sinners. And this sin has corrupted our words and the things that we say. And then notice in verse 13 and 14, their throat is an open grave with their tongues. They keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now a speech therapist can appreciate all the parts mentioned here. The throat, the tongue, the lips, and the mouth. 
And therapists do wonderful work in diagnosing problems, helping others with their speech, but I don't think there's a therapist that can fix this. That there is something deep within us that comes out our mouths. We're deceivers and being deceived. Poison is under our lips. Our mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Now, it's not just that our words, and we'll get to this in a moment, that our, our bad words come out of our mouth. We'll see that in a second. But what comes out of our mouth expresses what's in our heart. And let's just take a moment to point at culture, and then we'll take the moment to point at yourself. So here are some words, just in case you want to know what's going on in the culture, craziness of late. Uh, you can go look these things up if you want to. But this is things that you will hear said from the culture at large that are contrary to God's word to show you how corrupt we are. So this is something that's said recently. You can type it in on Google later and see who said it. The first thing that someone said, uh, I see good things in Hitler. Yeah, that's interesting. Now here's another one. Biological male wins woman of the year. Here's another one. We are not sure doctors should treat born infants if the parents want the kid to die. Here's your words. These are words. They're coming out. And you go, the world is so bad. And they are. But take the finger, point it back to yourself. And it says, the throat is an open grave. That means the words that come out of even our mouths come from deep within. Jesus put it like this in Luke 6.45. He says, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings up the good. And the evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Here it is. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Your mouth will bust you every time. If there's corruption in you, then it will come out in our speech. If there's deceit in you, it will come out in duplicity and deception. If there is hate in you, it will come out the, the arrows that wound others. If there is bitterness in you, it will come out as griping and complaining. I, I think complaining is probably one of the biggest sins that Christians commit and act like it's no big deal. It comes from within and it comes out. Your mouth will bust you every time from what's going on in your heart. And before I became a Christian, I would, I would curse and cuss so much, like a significant amount of cussing. And I thought that once I became a Christian, there was no way that would ever leave me. But God's grace, he worked in my heart. He changed that. And he, and he took that away. But I'm going to tell you, there are times in my Christian life that I think, you know, I'd like to bring some of that back. What are you laughing for? Yeah, you know. See, there's something that's in my heart that wants to still come out. It's not only our speech, but it's also in our actions. Look at verse 15. So we move from the mouth. Let's move down to the feet. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. So they're not just expressing sin in their speech, but also in their actions. 
And corruption here is said is swift to shed blood, murder. We have murder here even in Arkansas all over the world. It says that, that sin creates a path of destruction and ruin and misery. It infects nations and institutions and human relationships. And here's the deal. You will be in a, in a culture that we live in that will often try to let you off the hook. It's saying, oh, you're not as bad as other people. Or you'll meet with a counselor that will try to explain away your actions and say, well, it's really their fault. But before a holy God, we are all accountable to him. I know when we read passages like this, we think that these verses apply to the wicked humans among us, like Jeffrey Epstein and Galene Maxwell, who trafficked young girls for sexual abuse and, and other wicked schemes. You go, they are super bad. Jesus needs to save them. And yet, we need saving as well. We're just as accountable for a holy God as they are. So we move from the mouth to the feet. Now let's look at the eyes, verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So instead of submitting to a holy God, they dismiss him and carry on their own gods with their own set of rules and their own sin. God is dead. God is gone. He is at least inconsequential, irrelevant to their lives. And the dismissal of God is the root of all sin. So how do you explain this human corruption? Humans fail to give glory to God. They dismiss him. They kick him out. And then Paul finishes up here. Let's finish this up, verse 19 through 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The Ten Commandments, along with the rest of the law in the Old Testament, bears witness to the corruption of humanity. We have not kept the Ten Commandments. We have broken them. You say, I've never committed adultery, and yet when you lusted a woman, that is adultery according to Jesus. You say, I've never murdered anyone, and yet when you hate in your heart, that is murder according to Jesus. You see, the law reveals our sin and shows us that we need a Savior. And you may say, well, you know, I'm good, I'm good. I, I, I love God. I went to church. I got baptized. I was a good person. I helped the poor. I, I gave my money over at Christmas. I gave a lot of deeds, uh, a lot of good deeds at Christmas. And, and verse 19 says, every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God for breaking the law because every single human is busted in their sin and accountable to God. R.C. Sproul, who's now with the Lord, he used to have this friend who was a PhD in neurological studies at Harvard. And this guy said the brain is more incredible than any computer in the world because everything that happens in our lives and all the words we say are recorded in our brains. So he viewed the final judgment something like this. Okay, we're in a courtroom. You're in a courtroom and here is a stool in the courtroom. Imagine in this courtroom of God and imagine your brain, he's a neurological guy, your brain is taken and plopped down there and a recorder is hooked up to it. And right there in the courtroom, you're gonna see the rewind button hit all the way back and then play. 
and they're going to watch everything that you've ever said, everything that you've ever done, and everything that you've ever thought. The prosecuting attorney doesn't need to say anything. We are all busted and our sin corrupt and sinful. Merry Christmas. <laughs> now do you see why Jesus came? You see it? Now you're like, yes, you see it. Jesus took on flesh. He lived a perfect life that I certainly could live, that you certainly couldn't live. He kept the commandments. I didn't keep them. I broke them. He kept them. And he died on the place, on the cross for sinners. And get this. If you trust Jesus, you get his life and he gets your sin. That's a great deal for us that God now views us as righteous, that we've lived the perfect life and the wrath is on him for your sin and my sin. And you may think, well, is this really a true story? I mean, we hear this all the time. Is it true? Well, he was killed and buried. Three days later, came back. Proof that it is real. That everything he said was real. It's not fake, not a made up story, not a myth. This is real. Live the life you couldn't live, died the death that you couldn't die, and he rose again. Now through faith, sinners can be forgiven. Even bad sinners, like those people out there and those people in here, can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. And so the Christmas season is upon us. And so I want you to think about a few things here at the end. I rarely ever give you things to think about here at the end, what we would call application, because I so want your heart changed that you go out of here living different. But I'll give you some suggestions here at the end. The first one is this. I want you to think about Christmas carols. Deep sin should cause us to worship God's great grace. And when we sing Christmas songs, they're so familiar to us. We don't think about them, but they're playing all over, even in secular stores. So if you hear Christmas songs blaring through the speakers when you're in line at the store, to turn to the person next to you and say, do you hear this? Do you know these words? It's amazing. So pay attention to the Christmas carols that we sing in church that you'll hear in stores to listen to on the radio talking about deep sin and great grace in Jesus. The second thing I want you to think about is this concept called Christmas collapse. I don't know what it is about Christmas, the time, the break, whatever you want to call it, people often make poor choices. I don't know if it's because we're out of our routine or, or what's going on, but people often make poor choices. So I want you to be aware that, yes, you're saved by grace. You're viewed righteous of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you, but in your flesh, you can still be tempted to make poor choices. Don't come back here in January saying, oh, I didn't listen to you. We'll give you grace. There'll be forgiveness. But why go through that? 
pay attention to what's going on in your life during this Christmas time. And the third thing I want to say is this concept of Christmas communication. Most people, I know it's the South, I know it's Arkansas, I know, I know, I know, I know. But most people don't know Jesus. There is this wide road that's going to destruction and a narrow road that's going to life. We need to speak the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus to those who don't know him. And now's the opportunity. Now's the season. And lastly, I want to talk to you about this concept of Christmas compassion. Because we're living in a fallen world infected with sin, we have pain. And I know that this Christmas time and this Christmas season brings up so much pain. I know some of you have lost your spouse. Pain. I know some of you who are in difficult relationships and something about the Christmas just brings it all up. This is the time of year we need to check on people, call people, interact with people, write people. Let them know they're not alone. That the God who saves us from our sin is also the God who comforts us and gives us peace. So my brothers and sisters, you can rejoice today in your salvation because the bad news is really bad and the good news is really good. Let's pray. Lord, it's all by grace. I cannot believe you saved me. It's all by grace. Should be the story of every single one of us who can't believe you saved us. It's all by grace. And I do pray for the one in here who may be straying, prodigal, whatever he or she wants to classify themselves as. I just ask you to reach out to them and draw them back to you. And Lord, we want others to know Jesus during this time, but we also want to be super amazed by your grace ourselves. And so I just ask that you would continue to root us in your grace. And as we transition to this time of communion, may we be blown away by your grace that you welcome sinners with open arms. It's in your name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Guided by God's Meanwhile, word. have a blessed day as you walk along the way 